Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Guys, it's such an honor just to come and speak to you guys today, just to bring the Word of God. Um, I'm sorry, I'm like an introvert's worst nightmare. I, I know because I am one. Like if I was you guys, I'd be like, oh my gosh, what is this dude doing? So first time visitors, I apologize. Come back next week, our senior pastor will be speaking, and it might not be as awkward um, as the one I speak. Might, it might be, but it might not be. I don't know. Um, so let me ask you guys. Have you guys ever done something that it seemed like a good idea to begin with, only to kind of later find out probably wasn't the best idea? You guys, anybody been there? Come on, you can talk back to me. Give me some feedback. Let me know you're out there. I feel like we've all uh, probably done that at some point or another, right? I, uh, I mean, I, I do that with my clothes in the morning. Like, I wake up and I think, oh, it's going to be a great idea. I put these, I pay extra for these holes, guys. Come on. And, and then, like, I later find out that people make fun of me for dressing up like cartoon characters. So, I don't know if it was the best idea, but it seemed like a good idea to begin with. And I feel like we've all been there, that like, oh, this, this seems great. And then we later get into it and we're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? So up on the screen are some uh, inventions, uh, some products, and these are real products um, that I want to show you guys. So this is a roast beef sandwich bath soak. Like, I'm sure like when somebody came, you can buy this off Amazon, guys. I'm sure when somebody came up with this idea, it seemed like a great idea. Like, what do we love? We love roast beef. Let's put it in everything. Let's, let's have a bath in it, you know? And then like you get out of your bath and you don't know, do I really want to smell like roast beef everywhere I go? I don't know. And then we have another one. This, this one's just fantastic, guys. Like, this one just cracked me up. So this is actually a wall decal of two senior people in a golf cart. Like, at what point do you need this decal? Like, where, where does this come into play? Like, we're coming up with decal ideas, you know, and then, oh, I've got a great one. Let's put two seniors in a golf cart, and we can put it in offices. Like, I, I tell you, if, if, if you guys buy that, I will put it in my office. I'll put it on Pastor Danny's side of the office, but I'll put it in the office, okay? And then, and then this is where it gets weird. Look at this next one, guys. <laughs> This is a, a, it's called a licky brush, and this is for those cat owners that want to groom the cats and not get fur on your tongue. I don't, I don't know, like, just because you, you, you could doesn't necessarily mean you should, right? Like, and I feel like this is the perfect example of this lesson, right? Just because you could doesn't mean you should. One of, the, uh, one of the ideas that I've seen this the most is uh, at the Krispy Kreme run here in Raleigh. Does anybody know what the Krispy Kreme run is? Okay, does anybody have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, we got, okay, we got some people. Okay, so let me explain to you. So the Krispy Kreme run is a race here in, in, in Raleigh that you, you basically run at two and a half miles to a Krispy Kreme store, and then you get given a box of donuts. The challenge is to eat the 12 donuts and then run two and a half miles back to the finish line. And the kicker is you got to do it under one hour, okay? I'm sure this idea seemed like a great idea on paper. Like, this sounds fun. There's donuts. There's running. It's going to be awesome. But you find out 
just because you could eat a dozen donuts and then run five miles, your body seems to disagree with you. And it kind of tells you that it's probably not the best idea. And you notice this because as you start to come closer and closer to the finish line, you see a lot of, um, to put it politely, running landmines that you just kind of have to hop over, jump around. Like, the people that clean the street that day, like, man, God bless their heart. Like, I think there's, like, a special place in heaven reserved for people like that. Like, that's not biblical, guys. Don't, 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 don't send me emails. If you do, it's uh, scottlear at sfchurch.com. Um, <laughs> But no, so, so it's one of those things where it's like, it seems like a great idea. Yeah, let's, let's eat a dozen donuts. Let's run five miles. Awesome. What can go wrong? And, and you just find out it's not the best idea. My wife and I actually uh, met at the Krispy Kreme run here in Raleigh. And uh, we met at the starting line of that race. And I'd love to say that I was like super smooth, guys. Like, I don't know if it's this race or if it's just you that's taking my breath away. Like, you know. <laughs> I, or, or like, I, your legs must already be tired because you've been running through my mind all day. But I, I wasn't smooth. I actually lost her a mile in when I went to tie my shoelace, and she just ran on without me. I was like, ugh. But it worked out. I mean, we're married now. We, uh, you know, we had a wedding, and we actually had uh, a stack of Krispy Kreme donuts for our wedding cake at our wedding. And we joke that we later find out that uh, she, Ashley's like, I'm so glad that we got split up because seeing me like shove all these donuts in my mouth probably wouldn't have been the best site to kind of start this relationship out on. Um, but hey, it worked out good for us. But I actually have a friend that ran that same run that same day. And still to this day, guys, he cannot look at Krispy Kreme donuts. Like, seriously, like, we, I used to work with them, and every time somebody brought them in, like, you know, Dunkin' Donuts is fine, but if anybody brought Krispy Kreme Donuts in, you just kind of saw him like, ugh, and like still to this day. And so, you know, it sounds like a great idea. I don't know if it's the best marketing plan for Krispy Kreme, you know, like getting people sick of donuts. I, I don't know, but this is, um, this is the idea that just because you could do something doesn't mean you should. Turn to your neighbor and say, just because you could, Come on, guys, say it like you mean it. Doesn't mean you should. And this is what Paul's trying to get at um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, in verse 23, he says, All things are lawful. He's quoting somebody here, and he says, But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So Paul is talking to the church of Corinth, and apparently there's been this saying that's going around where everybody's saying, all things are lawful. We, we, we see Paul address this same saying in, in chapter 6. And so if you guys haven't read chapter 6, go back there, and you'll see that he's saying the same thing. So it's, it's a pretty common phrase that people are using, all things are lawful. And for those of you that haven't been with us, the past couple months we've been going through a series called Letters to RDU. And, and so basically what we're looking at is the first letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and how it relates to us here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You see, a lot of the stuff that the church of Corinth was facing is very similar to our culture today. You see, the people from Corinth, they were affluent people. They, they came to Corinth to get jobs, to make connections, to network, to make money. Uh, the, church, the church Corinth and Corinth area was also, they were just kind of, they loved the games. They, they loved their sports. They loved their entertainment. Does any of you think that sounds like the culture that we're in right now? Okay, three people. Awesome. So I'm doing good. Um, 
And, and so Paul's addressing this, this culture and this church, and he's talking to them, and they've took this statement, all things are lawful, and they've, they've taken it out of context. Some people say that Paul at one time said this to the church, and so now that's kind of like their mantra, like, oh, everything's lawful, I can do whatever I want. And Paul is like, guys, let's, let's pump the brakes, let's, let's slow down, and, and let's go back. All things are lawful, yeah, but not all things are beneficial. He says, just because you could doesn't mean you should. You guys get it, right? You know, just because you could find a Chinese buffet all you can eat for $4.99 doesn't mean you should eat there, okay? Just because you could do 150 in your car on the highway doesn't mean you should. Just because you could buy a fake tongue and groom your cat really doesn't mean you should, okay? I'm sorry for those of you that have that product out there, like, oh my gosh, sorry. Um, but just because you could uh, doesn't mean you should. Wives, turn to your husbands and say, just because you could eat a bunch of dairy doesn't mean you should, you know? And, and so that's what kind of Paul is getting at, is, yeah, you might be able to do these things, but is it beneficial? Is it building people up? Is it making you more like Jesus Christ? And so he's addressing this culture. And this culture in Corinth is a culture that basically everything goes. As long as I'm having fun, as long as I'm having a good time, that's all that matters. It was a permissive, transactional, hedonistic society where everything goes. And this is what Paul, culture Paul is talking about. And they're saying, all things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. And they say that this could be related to two things. You see, a lot of the stuff that the church was getting entangled in, in their culture, it was completely legal. Most of the stuff that they were doing was okay by the law of the land standard. And so they're kind of over here saying, hey, everything's lawful. We're not doing anything wrong. We're not breaking any laws. Everything's lawful. And Paul is reminding them, just because the law of the land approves it doesn't mean God approves it. Just because the law of the land approves, it doesn't mean it's beneficial, doesn't mean it's building up, doesn't mean it's making you more like Jesus Christ. There are many things here in the USA that are legal, but it doesn't line up to what God has for you. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, he said, never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal. Our standard should not be the law of the land. Our standard should not be government. Our standard should be God. Other Bible scholars say when they're saying all things are lawful, they're referring to the freedom that Paul is telling them about in Christ, that you have been set free from the law, you're now under grace. And so they've taken this, they've taken this idea of freedom and they've taken it out of its parameters. They've taken it out of its context. You see, they've been given freedom in Christ, but now they took that freedom to use it for themselves. But the freedom that Christ gave us was not a freedom to do whatever we want with. It wasn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. It wasn't a, a, a freedom to sin and to continue to do everything that you used to do and not have to pay any consequence. It was actually a freedom from sin, and now we get to bind ourselves to righteousness. Paul addresses this in his letter to Romans. It's, it's, it's a contact, it's something that we're all kind of dealing with, right? And Paul says this, he said, For sin will have no dominion over you, 
since you are not under the law, but under the grace. Oh, great, all things are lawful, right? But then he says, then what? Are we to sin because we're no longer under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anybody as an obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin and become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Having been set free from sin, have now become slaves to righteousness. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want. It's a freedom to tie yourself, to bind yourself to righteousness. You've been set free from sin, yes, but now your freedom has parameters for a purpose. Your freedom serves as a function, and that function is for us to walk in obedience and righteousness. It's not a freedom to do whatever we want. I remember when I was in Bible college, and uh, we was talking to students, and I, I can't remember necessarily what the topic was about, but basically the, the discussion ended up talking about like, well, if I, if I did this, and maybe I did it this way, would that be considered sin? And people are like, oh, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, well let, me, let me give it to you this way. What if I, I did it this way? And what if, what if we, we went kind of over here? And would that be considered sin? Basically, the, the question that they were asking is, how close to the fire can I get before I get burned? And I remember my buddy, my buddy spoke up and he said, guys, 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 you, you're asking the wrong question. The question shouldn't be, how close to sin can we get? The question should be, how can I get as far away from sin as possible? You see, we've been set free from sin and death. Don't start going back and prodding it with a stick. Your freedom is to tie yourself to righteousness. Our freedom is not necessarily even for ourselves. Our freedom is for the sake of the gospel. It's a freedom where we will even willingly give up our own rights to serve those around us, that we will trade in the idea of my will be done for your will be done, that I will trade in my selfishness for a selflessness to serve others. We've been set free, yes, but for the sake of the gospel, we'll use that freedom with responsibility to reach as many people as we can with the love of Christ. And this is what Paul gets into for the rest of the chapter. Paul is challenging us to live a life that is no longer about what I can get out of it, but how can I best live in such a way that I can point, Jesus, point to people to Jesus in everything that I do. That, hey, even though this stuff is acceptable to me, I'll choose not to do it so that I can make it easier for people to see the love of Christ. That I will get my own rights, my own desires, and put them aside to not provide a stumbling block for anybody. That I'll put parameters on my own life based on those people around me. You guys kind of tracking where I'm going? Does this make sense? Okay. So let me give you like a kind of a worldly example, an example that we might all be able to somewhat relate with. <clears throat> my wife, for instance... She, uh, she's gluten intolerant, which means that she cannot eat gluten. If she eats gluten, she gets into an immense pain, okay? Uh, we found this out after the Krispy Kreme run, so that wasn't a good time. Um, I think Krispy Kreme run might be partially responsible for it. I mean, anybody eating 12 donuts, it might just kind of uh, you know, create a gluten intolerance. But anyway, my wife can't eat gluten. I can. It doesn't affect me. But 
what I do is I choose to eat gluten-free so that our house doesn't have any gluten in it. So that she doesn't accidentally mistake, pick something up that has gluten in it, and she gets in pain. I also do this when we're out and eating out together. I'll choose not to eat gluten so as to not make it tempting for her. Like, can you imagine me getting this, like, big, thick, deep pan pizza, and she's there with, like, this gluten-free crust? And, you know, so I do that not because I have to eat gluten-free, but to provide a way that it makes it less tempting and easier on my wife. You see, I can eat it, she can't, but I choose to limit my rights to serve somebody other than myself. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about gluten. He's saying, how can we live in such a way where we put other people's interests above our own? And this is the idea that Paul is getting to. He's saying, even though you can do these things and it not affect you, that's great, but it might not be beneficial for the other person. It's a mark of maturity when we can balance freedom with responsibility. And we all have a responsibility to use that freedom well. We have a responsibility to build one another up in faith. We have a responsibility to glorify God in all that we do. We have a responsibility to seek and save the lost and live in such a way that many will be saved. And Paul was living out these responsibilities. He kept them in the front of everything that he did. You see, I feel like if you knew Paul, you kind of think that he was just this inconsistent guy. You'd be like, he's just kind of all over the place. Because you see, like, when Paul spent time with the Jews, he kind of spoke like the Jews. He kind of used their vernacular. He kind of got on their level. He, he ate what they ate. He ate kosher, and he kind of just submitted himself to that, and he spoke to them, and he kind of worked on their level. And then like the next day, he's hanging out with the Gentiles, and he's, he's no longer using that language. He's using a different language, and he's using their words, and he's no longer eating kosher. He's eating what they're eating. And so I feel like if you knew Paul, you'd be kind of like, Paul, what, what are you doing? Like, I thought you was kosher. I thought you was like a Jew. I thought you spoke like this. And, and it seems like he's living his life inconsistently. But you see, he's not living inconsistently. What might have seemed like inconsistency is actually him living consistently with the principles that he was laying down in this chapter. You see, Paul's like a weather vane. A weather vane seems to be pointing in all different directions. Like, is it this way? Is it that way? And it seems inconsistent. But what the weather vane is doing is it's pointing to the direction in which the wind is blowing. And that's what Paul is doing. He's pointing to Jesus in the setting that he is in to make it easier for people to understand. He's not providing a stumbling block. He's just pointing to Jesus and making it as easy as possible, getting on people's level for them to understand in their context. He's pointing to Jesus. He's not being inconsistent. He's just pointing to Jesus on their level. And that's why he says, he says, I try to please everybody in everything I do. This is not Paul compromising. This is not him becoming a people pleaser. This was him actually affirming that his life and his ministry was not focused on him, but it was actually focused on serving others and glorifying God. That's why he goes on to say, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many will be saved. But that, but that of many that they may be saved. So, here's an evaluation question. Looking at Paul's life, looking at the, the way that he lives, looking at what we just read, My question to you guys is, 
How are you using that freedom that you've been given? Are you using it for self, or are you using it for your Savior? Are you using it for self, or are you using it to serve others? Am I living self-centered, or am I living Christ-centered? Am I willing to surrender my rights to serve others? The real question that I'm trying to get at is why? Why, why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way that you live? Why did you get out of bed this morning? Why did you come to church today? Was it to glorify God and to serve others, or did we have different motives? And I think this is an important question that we need to ask ourselves, and ask ourselves often. Because I don't know about you guys, but I can so often just go into autopilot with my life. Can anybody else attest to that? That I get up and I just get into my routine and I start doing stuff, and I don't even question, why am I doing this? And sometimes we need to be intentional and take back the controls of why I'm doing it. What's my reason behind this? Um, one, one thing that I do to, to take back this idea of I'm going to make sure that the reason why I'm doing stuff is for the right reason. That what I'm doing is lining up with the Word of God. And what I do is um, I literally have statements that I, I tape to my bathroom mirror that I kind of read over myself in the morning. Just to intentionally set my day right of like, this is why I wake up in the morning. This is why I do what I do. And it's biblical principles, but let me just give you a couple of the statements that I say. And it's just, just a way to build myself up. I actually adopted this from Craig Rochelle's um, teachings. But it's this. He says, one is, I love people and I believe the best about others. I'm gonna be intentional. When I go out today, I love people, and I'll believe the best about others. One is, I'm disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than wrong desires in me. I'm reminding myself that I have Christ living inside of me. That temptation that comes my way, I'm stronger than that because of Christ in me. Another one is, I'm anointed, empowered, equipped, and called to reach people far from God. That is what I'm called to do today. I'm just reminding myself of these biblical truths that this is why I was created. But the first statement that I read over myself every day is this. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. That's my why. That's why I get up in the morning. That's why I go and do what I do. And I think that this statement should be all our whys. But truth is, if we, if we check ourselves often, we kind of get a little off course. And the scary thing is, is we can go our whole life and not check the reason why we're doing what we're doing, and, and we miss it. You know, we can, we can start to make this life all about us. And so what we start to do is, is we go through life and we start climbing this ladder, right? I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get the right education so I can get the great, great job. You guys, uh, okay. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to get the job. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get the promotion. I'm going to be able to put money into my 401k. I'm going to be able to get a retirement plan so I go to, go to, go to work. I'm, I'm going to even go to church today. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go on missions trips. I'm going to serve I'm going to even give to the church. I'm going to do all this stuff. But our motives are wrong. We're not questioning why, why are we doing this. We're just doing it out of routine. I'm going to raise my kids 
And I'm going to teach them to go to school, to work hard, to get a job, and, and, and to make money. I'm going to buy the house. I'm going to get the fancy car. I'm going to go on vacation. And we do all this, and we work hard, and we strive, and we put all our effort into it. And then we realize that when we get to the top of this ladder, everything we did, we did out of vanity. We've been working hard, we've been working our way up the ladder, but we never took time to question, why do I do what I do? And we've been operating everything that we do out of vanity, and when we get to the top, we realize that it led to nothing. That's why it's so vital to know your why. Turn to your neighbor and say, know your why. Come on, guys, say it like you mean it. I know it's early. Psalms 127 says this. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. And this is a constant battle. We're constantly battling with vanity. We're constantly battling with our ego as to this is why I do what I do. You see, we battle with vanity so much that some of you guys right now think I'm talking to you. That's how bad we deal with vanity is that you think this is all about you, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. So we can rise up early in the morning. We can work hard. We can climb the ladder of success. But if it's not for the Lord, realistically, it's all for nothing. The Corinthians were also falling for the same trap. They were measuring their life and living their life to the world's standards, and they forgot their why. All things are lawful. I can do whatever you want, whatever I want, but that's not a good why. Our why should not be whatever I want. Our why should be like, what does the Lord want? And we have to be even super careful because we can come to church, we can be good people, we can do good deeds, we can sign up for Southbridge Serves, and we can check our good deed box, and we can do all these things and still be wrong. So what are your motives? What are your motives for coming to church? What are your motives for loving people? What are your motives for going out and serving the city? Because we can do all the right things and still be wrong. J.D. Greer, in his book, Gaining by Losing, says this, and this hit me hard, guys. He says, ministry, you see, is a great place for guys with idols of success to hide because we can mask our selfish ambition in the cloak of doing great things for God. What's at the top of your ladder? Because we can have the right what with the wrong why and still be totally wrong. I love the way the book of Haggai says this. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while your house lies in ruins? While this house lies in ruins, talking about the house of the Lord. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The NIV says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your why. You have so much and harvest little. You eat but never have enough. You drink and you never f fill. You clothe yourselves but none of you are warm. 
He who earns a wage just so to put them in bags with holes. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways, know your why. Go up to the hill and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because the house, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. How often do we do that? How often do we just busy ourselves with building our own house? So let me ask you the same question, but in a different way. The ladder you're climbing, whose house do you have it rested against? Is it your house? Or is it the Lord's house? Because we can do a lot of things that looks like it's for the Lord's house, and we can say, all glory to God at the end of it. But really, our motives are, we're just trying to be successful. And I feel like this is the reason why in our generation we can deal with so much discontentment is because what the book of Haggai was saying here is we're striving, we're doing, we're going, we're pushing, we're working hard, and we find that we're actually doing it all for nothing. How can we become content in doing stuff that leads to nothing? You can't gain by adding nothing to your life. The only way we're going to feel content is if we do all things for the purpose of the gospel. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. Paul says in chapter 10, he says this, he says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Does that mean we have to be like the rich young ruler and we have to give everything we have to the poor to follow Jesus? Does that mean that we have to pack up our whole, whole house and we need to move to a bush in Africa to, to serve people? Does that mean that I can no longer work the job that I'm working and now I have to go and work for the church? Possibly. But generally, no. It means that we can actually still live the life that we're living, but we just shift our eyes from self and onto our Savior. It means that when we're climbing this ladder, I, I go to school and I get the education, not just for myself, but now I can better reach people in the type of work that I'm wanting to go to. Or I can, or I can you know, get the job that I want because that's what God has called me to so I can glorify Him in it. It means that I raise my kids not just with a focus on education, but I raise my kids to learn to know the goodness of God. It means that when I get a promotion and I get this money, like, that I use that in such a way that, hey, I can glorify God through this. Hey, I have more money, so now I can do more things for the things that God is calling me to, that it's not just selfish ambition to, to raise up my bank account. It means I can, I can still get the house, I can still get the car, but how can I use this to, to show the goodness of God and to bless others? It means that I actually go to church, not just for fellowship, and not just for hanging out, and not just for making connections or friendships, but I go to church so I can learn the things of God and that I can actually glorify Him, not just memorize Bible verses, but actually live them out. And if you do that, you find that you're no longer fighting from vanity, but you're actually fighting from victory. You see, Jesus Christ is our victory, and so we operate out of that victory. And victory for us is that I ran this race well. I gave all I could 
for as long as I could to reach as many people I could. That's our victory. Our victory is that when I stand before God on the day of judgment, he'll look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's our victory, guys. We don't, our victory is not success. It's not measured in our job or our money or our bank account. Victory is found in Jesus Christ. He is our victory. You see, so if you saw the blessings that God has given you as seeds, the question we should be asking ourselves is, how many seeds am I planting in the kingdom of God's field Or how many seeds am I hiding in the storehouse to feed myself? We need to intentionally look for opportunities to glorify God. We need to intentionally be sowing seeds and glorifying God in all we can do. It's not a freedom to do whatever we want. All things are lawful. It's a freedom to now I get to invest into God's kingdom. So how do we glorify God in all we do? Glorifying God in all you do is not just doing what you want to do and then say, Oh, all glory to God. Like, oh, I'm going to go and get an education so I can get the perfect job that I want, but all glory to God. Oh, I got a promotion, I got this giant raise, but all glory to God. Like, that's a great place to start, yeah. But that's, I think, doing all things to the glory of God goes a little deeper than that. You see, all glory to God is inviting God into the center of everything, everything that you do. God should not be a hobby. He should be your hub, the center of everything that you do. Some examples that I love of this, just some practical examples. I was speaking to some people the other day, and they were selling their car. They put it up on Facebook Marketplace, and, and they were just trying to get rid of the car. They needed to trade it in to get another car. And, and, and what I loved is they started telling me that they actually set out like this table, and they put snacks on it, and they had lemonade. And, and so when people came to see the car, they could offer them snacks, and they could give them a drink, and they could spend some time just talking to them and getting to know them and building relationship up with them. I love that, guys. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor. You know, you could just sell a car, or you could show people the love of Christ. And they ended up selling this car to these people, and, and they ended up actually setting up a date before they left. Like, hey, let's go grab dinner together. Like, I love that. That's to me, is what it looks like to glorify God in all you do. You could just sell a car. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing lawfully against that. But is it beneficial? Does it build up? You could use this opportunity to share Christ in everything you do. Another one that I love is I'm talking to my buddy. He lives here in Raleigh, and he's actually leaving this summer to go plant a church in England, represent. And um, he was talking to me, and we got talking about his plans and, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And and he told me, he's like, when I get there, I'm not going to get an office. I'm intentionally not going to get an office because I'm going to go into coffee shops. I'm going to go into local stores, and I'm going to work from those coffee shops. And he said, because then that way, I can get to know the community in which I'm trying to reach to. You know, I can actually get to know the people that work there and people that come in. And, and again, I love that. That's just, to me, that just goes above and beyond. Like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with getting an office. But, hey, I can use this as an opportunity to glorify God in all that I do. And I think that is so important, especially as pastors, because we can be so often in our office planning to do ministry that we actually miss the opportunity to do ministry. And so just, I love that idea of just being intentional about how can I glorify God in this, in my office space? Like, I would have never thought about that. 
One thing that me and my wife do is uh, we go to local restaurants and we go there like um, all the time. We, we go to this one place like literally every Tuesday. Every single Tuesday we're at this place. And we intentionally do that to just get to know the people at this place. We get to know the staff and get to know the names. And, and we have this waitress and we have the same waitress every single week. We ask for her specifically. And we're, like literally we're like building a relationship up with her. We're getting to know her, getting to know her boyfriend and her dogs, and we follow each other on Instagram, and we've become genuine friends with our waitress. And, and in everything we do, we try and point to Christ. You see, there's nothing wrong with you going to a restaurant and just sitting down and eating food. There's nothing lawfully against that. But how can I use that as what Paul is talking about to build people up? You see, you can do all the things that you're already doing, You don't need a different ladder. You just might need to intentionally move it from your house to the Lord's house. You see, you can sell a car, you can get an office, you can eat out, or you can do all those things with God in the center and be looking for where are opportunities that I can love my neighbor. You guys heard of Jersey Mike's? And I'm I'm like throwing so much food stuff at you guys. Jersey Mike's. It's one of our regular places. Like, I love Jersey. They do gluten-free buns, so it's like a dream. Um, but that slogan is, be a sub above. It's like a cool slogan, right? You could get a sub or you could get a sub above. Like, oh, wow, it's awesome. But the whole purpose is that when you buy this sub, our organization, we give to military families. We give to this. It's not just a sub. It's more than a sub. It's, it's a sub above. And, and I love this concept, and we need to apply this to our life. It's biblical. Matthew 5 says this, if anybody forces you to go one mile, go two mile. You can go one, or you can be a sub above. <laughs> Hope there's no copyright things on here. Like, this is not a sponsored sermon, okay? Uh, <laughs> but you see, that's what it's all about, is going above and beyond of what's expected. Hey, it's lawful to do those things without it. But how can I use the regular mundane parts of life and add purpose? When Jesus commanded us to love our neighbor, it wasn't a figurative statement. When we're commanded to love our neighbor, we're actually commanded to actually know and deeply love our neighbors. Jesus was talking about the family literally across the street, the barista in the coffee shop that always gets you drink wrong the hairstylist, the person next to you in the cubicle, the guy on your shift, the man in the medium, the woman on the street corner, the student at desk away. Do you guys know your neighbor? Turn to your neighbor and say, do I know you? Come on, guys, come on. You've done this so many times now. Turn to them and say, do I know you? So I challenge you guys. I practically challenge you guys who, who normally eats out after church on a Sunday? Okay, so, okay, cool, cool, cool. So for those of you that eat out after church on a Sunday, I practically challenge you to get to know your neighbor. Get to talking to your waitress, your waiter. Find out their name, you know, talk to them, love on them. Get to build a relationship up with them. And I challenge you to tip them generously. Not 20% generously. I'm talking 30, 40, 50 Heck, for those of you that can do it, 100, give until it kind of starts to feel a little uncomfortable. This is what it practically looks like to just love our city. We have opportunities as individuals to do this every single day. And we at Southbridge are all about that. We love our city. 
Do you guys know that Christians have the worst rep in the restaurant industry of being the worst tippers? You talk to anybody in the restaurant business, they say the crowd after church on a Sunday are always the worst tippers. I'm not talking about you guys. I know you guys are awesome tippers. This is the other churches. But so, like, practically, we can do this. We can show that, hey, we just love you because we love you. We're called to love you. Let me show you Christ. Not for any agenda, not to making you into a project, but because we love people because Christ loves us. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. As I kind of uh, bring this plane into land, I want to invite the band come up. But Paul says this right at the end, well, actually beginning of the next passage, 11.1. He says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Paul says, in everything that I'm doing, I do it to imitate Christ. That I put aside my own rights, that I put other people first, that I glorify God in everything I do so that I may imitate Christ and that many people will come to know Christ through what I'm doing. And so I want you guys to write these three, some three questions down. For those of you that take notes, write these three questions down. For those of you that don't take notes, tap on a person making notes and say, hey, can you make me a copy of that? You need, you need these questions, okay? First question is this. Who needs to be served today? Or who can I serve today? Is your motive, is your motive for serving, is your motive for doing what you're doing, is your motive dependent upon your ego? Are you operating out of vanity? And the final question is this. Are your decisions reflecting love and glorifying God? Let these three questions shape our week this week.